0: Well, throughout history, there have been countless words spoken that have become known as uh, wisdom or words to live by, and some have uh, become very well-known, and and I'm going to give you just a few of my favorites this morning, all right? There are thousands of them, but I'm going to give you just a few favorites. Um, Anybody like Winston Churchill? I love Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill was the kind of guy that said things that everybody else was thinking but wouldn't say, and I love that. Um, maybe I'm a mini Winston Churchill sometimes I don't know That gets me in trouble probably but he said this we make a living by what we get we make a life by what we give I like that he also said you have enemies good that means you've stood up for something sometime in your life awesome truth I thought I'd throw a quote from my dad right in the midst of the Winston Churchill. My dad used to say this, It's better for people to think that you're a fool than to open up your mouth and remove all doubt. He told me that countless times when I was in high school (laughs) that I can remember. Winston Churchill also said, The price of greatness is responsibility. If you want to be great, you have to learn how to be responsible. That's great truth. Mark Twain said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything, and I like that. Uh, we would do well to remember that in all aspects of our society right now, right? If you just tell the truth, you tell everybody the same story and it's the truth, then you don't have to remember anything else. And that great philosopher, Dr. Seuss, also said some wonderful, wonderful things. He said, sometimes you'll never know the value of a moment until it becomes a memory. Isn't that true? How many things are like that in our lives that we didn't realize at the time, but that moment was a significant memory and maybe sometimes we miss it because we don't really think it's that big of a deal. He also said, today I shall behave as if this is a day I will be remembered. Wow. Wow. I mean, think about that. Think about if you lived every moment of tomorrow as if any one of those moments might be the moment which you're remembered the rest of your life how you might live. And then lastly, I love this one, one of my favorites. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened, right? And if you're like me and sometimes you get sad when these significant moments are over, we shouldn't cry because it's over. We should be so glad and so thankful because they actually happened. Well, those and thousands more like them are wise words to live by, but if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, uh, the truth is that the Bible gives us the most significant words to live by. No doubt. And that wisdom that comes from God's word, which we refer to so often as the, the guidebook for life, is full of things that, that if we live them, our lives will be everything that God intended for them to be. And so what we want to do the next uh, weeks over the summer months is we're going to start a series today called Words to Live By. And each one of the speakers that we'll have this summer will share a significant passage from God's Word. And hopefully you'll walk away each Sunday with those words to live by. Well, this past week, I had an experience that I know many of you have had because uh, some of you have shared uh, that with me, and uh, if you haven't had this experience, I'm quite sure that uh, you will at some point uh, in the future. Uh, My mom was uh, diagnosed uh, just a few months ago with vascular uh, dementia, and her health has been failing for quite some time, and it's become necessary for us to Uh, Transition her to a place, assisted living, where she can uh, get some care. And so I traveled to Nebraska this week with a good friend to begin that process of just uh, transitioning uh, her into assisted living. And you can imagine all the financial aspects that are involved that need to be resolved, especially for someone who just uh, was not a financier. She doesn't have a financial mind. Uh, fortunately uh, no debt but uh, just things are kind of in disarray and you can imagine what that's like now there's a home full of stuff and memories that have to be sorted through uh, i found pictures that i don't remember ever seeing of the younger uh, me and i was really taken back by some of them i don't remember that i've never seen the pictures before Um, but they uh, quickly have become things that um, uh, there aren't stocks and bonds. I wish there were stocks and bonds, because those are very easy, right? You just cash them in and buy a boat or buy a new car or do whatever. But these things have become priceless to me. I don't remember ever being that little boy, Um, but I guess I was, because I think that's me, because I was the only grandson and the only son. And so I was out there to go through her things, but most importantly, my mom needed to be convinced that she's loved some of you have been there with your parents or with your grandparents, and uh, she needed to be convinced that she's loved and that God uh, certainly loves her and he's uh, still very much in, in control, even though to her at this particular moment it seems like life is quickly spiraling out of control. She went in the hospital only to be told that she couldn't come home. And so we spent that time uh, doing that and uh, trying to uh, show love uh, to her, and it was it was a Uh, A good time, but a very sobering time as well. On the 1,300-mile journey home across the Midwest, I was driving a U-Haul truck, and uh, I had many moments along the way to think about some of the formative years and significant events of of my life. Uh, About an hour outside of Omaha on Interstate 80, as we drove down the road, I remembered very clearly December 20th, uh, 1984. Uh, That was the night that I was uh, riding home Uh, with my pastor's son for Christmas break, and that's the night where my friend Stephen Young was killed as we drove home for Christmas break. My pastor's son, my youngest sister's boyfriend, uh, dead at the age of 18. And we drove past that uh, place on Interstate 80, and it was just a very contemplative moment for me. Uh, knowing that I had literally walked away from a car that was utterly destroyed that night uh, without a scratch and having had no seatbelt on, driving 70 miles an hour. That was a moment where uh, my life was changed forever, and we buried him just a few days before Christmas in 1984. We drove a little further down Interstate 80, and we came to uh, the town of Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, just north of Des Moines, there's a Bible College and Seminary called Faith Baptist Bible College and Seminary and that is where I received my Bible training and I hadn't been there since 1989 the spring of 1989 and so I decided we needed to drive up there and I needed to take a picture see if it still existed Uh, That's where God did an incredible work in my heart and opened my eyes to the needs of people and and where I felt that God was calling me uh, into ministry and the direction of my life was set and and things would never be the same as a result of what I experienced there. Uh, Just over the Iowa-Illinois border, in fact, just before we got over into Illinois, uh, there's a town called LeClaire, Iowa. Anybody ever heard of LeClaire, Iowa? Anybody watch American Pickers? You watch American Pickers? That's where they're from. And it kind of just popped into my mind, LeClaire, that's where the picker guys are from. And so I said, we got to go there. So we drove north a little bit, two miles. It not part of my childhood or anything, but I just had to go there. Uh, I wanted to see the two guys if they were there, and certainly the tattooed lady, whatever her name is, I wanted to see None of them were there, right? Uh, but I took a picture there and walked through their shop and saw the old things, and that was awesome. But just across the Iowa-Illinois border, I saw this little town, um, I saw the sign for this town that I had actually worked at my first church when I was in uh, Bible college. Uh, they paid me to be their part-time youth pastor. Why they did that, I will still never understand that. I was probably all of 20 years old and they were paying me uh, basically to be one of their kids. Uh, I went there every weekend and served as their youth pastor. And so we pulled over to that little town, Silvus, Illinois, and uh, I had to take a picture right in front of First Baptist Church. Uh, in Silvis, uh, Illinois. And that experience prepared me for the next 20 years uh, of youth uh, ministry that I would serve uh, as a youth uh, pastor. And then Thursday, about uh, 5.45, I drove into my driveway, and my beautiful wife and daughter uh, came running out of the house and greeted me and hugged me, and I thought, I am a blessed man. God has done some incredible things in my life. I go all the way back to that event on Interstate 80 uh, where my friend was taken to see Jesus and God, for whatever reason, said, I'm going to leave you here uh, for another time. And all those things that God had done and then to be reminded of my family, I'm a blessed man. And this uh, was a reminder of some of the days uh, of my life. And so over the past uh, couple weeks, Knowing I was going to open up our series today, I asked the Lord to give me a passage of Scripture that I hadn't spoken on before, uh, but that was influential and impactful in uh, my life. And, and literally hundreds, if not thousands, of passage uh, have come to my mind over the last uh, couple of weeks, but I've, I've landed in Psalm 90 today. And if you have your Bibles or you have uh, an app on your smartphone or on your iPad or something, uh, go with me to Psalm 90 This is the only psalm that was written by Moses. Uh, In fact, some question whether or not Moses actually uh, wrote the words in Psalm 90, but I believe, as many others uh, do, that he did. Uh, The theme of the psalm, in fact, suggests that it's probably inspired by Moses reflecting on the circumstances that we find in Numbers chapter uh, 20. You'll remember, those of you that have studied the Bible, your students of the Word, that Moses had been leading the nation of Israel for some 38 or more years at this time. And they've been wandering in the desert, if you remember, because of their disobedience. They were right on the edge of the land that God had promised to them, and yet they decided that they they weren't sure that they had the strength, that they had the ability to be able to defeat uh, that nation. And so they backed off, and as a result of their disobedience... God made it very clear that any adult who was alive at the time of that rebellion would die before they entered the promised land. And so here uh, we find Moses over the years, we see in Numbers uh, chapter 1, Moses uh, would have witnessed the death and burial of literally hundreds of thousands of people. Can you imagine that? going through your life, just watching one person after the other die and watching them be buried. That was Moses' story. There were indeed a lot of graves in the desert. And when we come to Numbers chapter 20, we read of the death of his sister Miriam, probably the most significant woman in his life. We read just shortly after that that his brother Aaron dies. And you remember how significant Aaron was. Aaron Uh, was chosen to come alongside of him and to be his mouthpiece because Moses was unsure of his ability to be able to accomplish what God wanted to accomplish in and through his life. It's also the chapter that we read that Moses was told to speak to the rock at Meribah where the people were complaining that there was no water and God said speak to the rock in my name and it'll pour forth water and instead Moses got angry at the people and in disbelief he struck the rock rather than speaking to the rock and Uh, took credit for what was happening with the rock. And as a result of that, God said, because of your disobedience, you too will die before entering in the promised land. It reminds me, by the way, just quickly about a principle that is all the way throughout Scripture, and that is this, that God doesn't have minor sins and major sins. We do in Christendom in America, don't we? We look at certain things and we think, well, that's a really bad one. I'm not doing what that person is doing. We all kind of do these things, and we think God kind of just overlooks little sins. And you may look at Numbers chapter 20 and think, well, that's awfully harsh of God to, uh, to judge him uh, so, uh, so quickly uh, for what seemed like to be a little infraction. But it's a reminder that even things that we might consider to be little sins can have major consequences to them. it be a good thing for us to remember. And so as Moses sees all these people that he knows and that he loves over the years and and he watches them die, he obviously is reflecting here in Psalm 90 uh, deeply upon this question. And that is this, how can this fleeting life have meaning and value? How can this fleeting life have meaning and value? Instead of being driven to depression like some of us are, When we think about death, when we go into the doctor's office and we're told that we have a a disease that will take our lives, or just the fact as we get older and we realize that our bodies are beginning to fail and we're in that final season of our lives. For some of us, it drives us to deep depression. Others become very cynical in that season of life, as many reflect on that question. How can this fleeting life have meaning and value? Moses, on the other hand, and I find this fascinating, in Psalm 90 was driven to worship and to prayer. And the result of that is what we see in Psalm 90. It's the majestic uh, psalm that is the oldest of the psalms. And I want to look at the whole psalm this morning. I want to read through it. But then I want to go back and I want us to focus our chime on verse 12. Uh, look at verse 1. Moses, first of all, deals with the eternality of God. That God is an eternal being. He starts out by saying, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you're God. He starts out by recognizing the eternality of God, but then he talks about the frailty of man in verses 3 to 6. He says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. Can you stop to think about that for just a moment? You remember that before the flood, people would routinely live hundreds of years. In fact, we read that Methuselah lived, do you remember? 969 years. Have you ever stopped to consider that? What it would have been like for us right now to be 969 years old, what you would have experienced in your life over 969 years, you would have gone all the way through the Middle Ages, right? I mean, in fact, that really wouldn't have been that long ago to you. You would have gone all the way through all of the wars here in America. You might have come over on the Mayflower, right? That may have been true of you. You you might have fought in the Revolutionary War. You know, you were several hundred years old at that point, but you were still, you know, you could do it. Can you imagine all the things that you would have experienced? I've thought about this often. My dad went to be with Jesus in 2003. And I uh, I said to somebody just the other day that I can't imagine if he were to come back to life right now, having only been gone for 14 years, how confused he would be about life. (laughs) Can you ever stop to think about that? I mean, if I showed him my iPhone and I showed him, look, I don't need an atlas. Like there's GPS. Like global positioning satellites that are going all the way around it, but it's right down to my phone. It tells me exactly this woman's talking to me. Coming back this week, I don't know, you know, you think about a lot of things in 1,300 miles. And I was thinking, this woman's talking to me. She's telling me my turn is in a mile. And she's saying it so sweetly, so kindly, so gently. I can only think about how my dad would think about that. But imagine if you lived 969 years what that would be like. And Moses is saying, if you were to live a thousand years in your sight, in God's sight, that's but a day. Verse five says, you sweep them away as with the flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. Verse six, in the morning it flourishes and it's renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. We see the eternality of God, the frailty of man. Verse 7, we begin to see the greatest problem of man, and that is sin. Our sin has separated us from God. As a result of our sin, we experience disease, death, all the calamities of life. That's why it's there, and he writes in verse 7, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we're dismayed. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Verse 10, you're familiar with, The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. Life has its difficulties when we're children, it has its difficulties when we're in middle school and high school, and then when we graduate and we have to get a job and pay bills and do all of that, it has its trouble. And then when we have teenagers, although you're wonderful, there are tumultuous moments in those times, and then we're empty nesters and our bodies begin to fall apart and there's, there's trouble Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and and your wrath according to the fear of you? And then we're going to look back at verse 12 here in a moment. But Moses writes, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And then Moses prays an ending prayer about the greatest need of man, which is grace, that we experience God's grace. And he writes, "'Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children.'" Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's jump back to verse 12 and look at these words to live by that Moses wrote. He said, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. There's a story that's told about a man who lived in the barren Mojave Desert in California. In fact, there's a monument there that uh, rests as a monument to uh, futility. Uh, This single man, his name, they called him Burrow. His last name was Schmidt. He spent over 40 years of his life uh, digging a 2,000-foot tunnel uh, into a, a mountainside of solid granite using only hand tools. Now think about that. He was a gold prospector, and he had settled on the north side of Copper Mountain, but gold had been discovered on the south side. and So he thought to himself, if I dig a tunnel through this mountain to the south side, when I discover the gold on the south side of the mountain, I'll be able to get it back through the mountain, under it, back to where I am on the north side. thought he might strike it rich, and then he'd need a route for sending the gold back to the other side. So he began his tunnel. In 1910, with his tunnel half-finished, the Southern Pacific Railroad completed a line through the area which basically made his tunnel useless. But by then, the tunnel had become his obsession. And so, for the next 28 years, he continued with his hands to break away at this granite until he finally broke through into daylight. And he operated the tunnel as a tourist attraction until his death in 1954. I read that story this week and I thought, what futility! Can you imagine spending 40 years of your life digging a tunnel only to find out that your tunnel is totally useless other than somebody coming and looking at look at what this crazy man did for the last 40 years. He dug a tunnel and it's useless, it's meaningless because look at all these other ways to get around this mountain and over uh, this mountain pass. And is it not the way that many of us feel at times? Maybe you will feel like that, that tomorrow morning when you get to your job. You're like the old Dunkin' Donuts commercial. You remember it? Time to make the donuts. Do you remember that? And some of you feel like time to go to Cisco. Time to go to NetApp. Crazy kids. Got to get them out of the house. Got to make the bologna. Do kids eat bologna sandwiches anymore? You probably don't even do that. That's right. But you felt that way. Forty years of his life. And I read that story and thought, what futility! What a waste! Have you ever been overwhelmed with the feeling that life is futile? It's not one of those questions, by the way, that I ask and expect you to raise your hands, but I bet you that what is true of me is probably true of so many of you that there have been times when you've wondered, what is the meaning of life? What's this all about? We live, we have the space in between, and then we die. Think about it for a moment. You can sacrifice all of your life for a comfortable retirement. Only die months before you actually retire. And then that 401k that you've amassed, that you thought you were going to live all of this time enjoying, is now fought over by your kids. It's a possibility. Reality is that almost anything that you put your hopes and effort into can be taken away suddenly by that great leveler that we refer to as death. George Bernard Shaw observed this. He said, the statistics of death are quite impressive. One out of one people die. In fact, one comedian said, I don't have anything against dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. That Kind of is how many of us feel about death, right? I mean, I know it's coming. I know it's out there. I know that eventually, you know, I get what scripture says. This point of man wants to die. I know everybody has to die, but I just don't want to think about it. I'm not really scared of it. I just don't want to think about it. I don't want to be present when it happens. But the harsh reality uh, is this that though we like to think that we are incredibly significant. Although maybe many of us don't think that we are, I think I'm pretty forgetful. I think that at some point people will go, yeah, I don't even remember who he was. The truth is that within, statisticians tell us this, studies have been done, that about 150 years you will be forgotten. Unless you're somebody like Winston Churchill, right? And we'll still talk about you and throw some of your quotes into a sermon or do something like that. But most of us are not those kind of people. Our, your name can be written in, in family history somewhere somewhere, and they may be for a period of time uh, remembered. There may be pictures and videos of your life, but the reality is that we will largely be forgotten. As I was taking things out of my mother's house and, and just sorting through things this week, she's, as I said, she's in a nursing home right now and so one evening I stopped by to see her and I said, hey, there's these pictures in the hallway, And I remember, uh, I called her Graham. She was my mom's mom. I remember Graham telling me that these, like, weren't our relatives. Like, these are pictures you got at a yard sale, right? I remember, because those women don't look anything like any of the women that I've ever seen in our family. She goes, Brian, don't you dare throw those away. Those are your relatives. And I'm like, I don't, you know, back to the vascular dementia. I'm going, Mom, I really don't. You know, are you sure? Because Graham told me, she goes, Those are your great great grandparents. Don't throw those pictures away. What's the point? The point is, I don't have a clue who these people are. Now, since you're wondering what I actually did with the pictures, right? I stuck them in a box. I couldn't bring them. I'm, I'm, what you don't know about me is I'm pretty sentimental at the end of the day. There's some things that I really get attached to uh, that uh, to you would have no value. But when I heard those could be my grandparents, I mean, I looked at them and thought, God, please don't let me look like that someday. But other than that, other than that, those things are important. And so I stuck them in a box. But here's what Moses is saying in verses 3 to 6. He says, we're going to return to dust. We're going to be swept away like a flood. And we are going to wither away like fescue grass in the heat of a North Carolina summer. That's what's going to happen. Some of you know that about the fescue. You know that, right? You thought this was the year that was going to be different. Your fescue lawn, it's looking really pretty right now. But I'm you, what's going to happen in just a few months, it's going to be dead. It's going to be brown. You all know that's what's going to happen. I've been living here for 22 years. Every spring, the fescue looks great. It never stays that way. It all goes dormant. That's why you need those weedy grasses, right? Because they stay green all summer long. The best case scenario for us, though, the best case scenario, if you live into your 90s or even just a little over 100, life is short. Now, I know you're glad you're here this morning because this has encouraged you already, right? Going, what a great time to come here and be encouraged with words to live by. This is awesome. I mean, words to die by maybe was what we should have called this series. But here's the thing. Moses is not saying these things to depress us. Even though you can read through that and think, man, why does he have to say those things? I mean, I know it's coming, but I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to deal with it. He doesn't say it to depress us. He is saying it to get us to live our lives with perspective. He wants us to recognize the fleeting nature of our lives. Now, Moses is not suggesting that we should get out an actuarial table and and try to figure out our anticipated lifespan. He's asking us and asking really God to help us remember that life is short and to make the most of the days that we have here on earth. You see, we tend to be people who we see that there was a beginning to us and We kind of know, at least theoretically, that there's an end. But we tend to be people who, because we look at that life and whatever time that is in the middle, we try to cram as many things into our lives as possible, don't we? We're really good at that, living in this part of the country. Our calendars are packed full and we're constantly going from event to event. Do, do, do Do you see that? fact I said to my wife this morning man I can't wait you know we get I think I said to her last night I can't wait you know I get done preaching tomorrow and we worship and then kind of have the afternoon and we'll relax and she goes oh no, no no we're not relaxing we got graduation parties to go to which is awesome by the way I'm all I'm all about graduation parties and giving you some money I'm all about that all right we got graduation parties to go to and then this person's coming over and we got this to do and that to do. That's the way that our calendars are. We're so overcommitted that we are never home. And when we are home, we're on the computer, we're talking on the phone, we're checking social media to see what everybody else is, is uh, doing or we're doing yard work or watching TV. We spend very little time talking to our kids and sometimes even less time talking to our spouses. And when we do talk to them, we're just simply talking about what the next thing is on our calendar and what we all need to be aware of so that we get here and we get there. And you get that kid there and I get this kid here and it all comes out and we got everybody where they needed to be. But here's the truth. Those of us that will number our days, we take a very different approach to life. People who number their days make decisions about what's truly important. And they give themselves to the pursuit of those things. Can I suggest to you this morning that that is the wisdom of numbering your days? Because you recognize what's really, truly important and you pursue those things. And then you're constantly in a state of trying to discern not just is good, not, not just what is good, not just what is better, but what is best. Uh, people that take this approach understand that sometimes they need to say no to good things in order that they might pursue the things that are best and that have eternal lasting benefit. You See, people that recognize the shortness of, of life are mindful. Of the eternal. They limit their involvement so that they can actually spend quality time with people. I had a man in his 90s that, after the first service, came up to me and he said, I've lived your sermon over the last several years. He's been putting things together in boxes and photo albums. And I reminded him, even as a man who's almost 91 years old, I reminded him at the end of the day, the things that's important are people and the mission of God. That's what's important. Your stuff doesn't matter. That's what's important. And people that understand that are involved in the mission of God because they have become convinced that that is what really matters eternally and that is what it means to have a heart of wisdom. 1 John 2.17 says, And the world is passing away along with all of its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. 1 Corinthians 15.58, a verse that's familiar to you. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, Therefore... My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that that labor is not in vain that's done in the Lord, that's done for the mission of the gospel, for the cause of Christ, for eternal things. I had a thought this last week as I was going through things in my mom's house. It goes something like this. Some of you have felt it before. In fact, I said it out loud to the buddy of mine that was with me. I said, so this is what it all comes down to. When all is said and done, this is what it all comes down to. Someone else goes through your stuff and they decide, not you, they decide what's important and what has value. And I thought to myself this week, I want to make sure that my life consists of more than just things. Things. More than just stuff. I pictured my kids opening up my drawers and going through things. And not being there to go, don't you dare throw that away. I know you logged into TD Ameritrade and you've already liquidated that account. But don't you dare throw that away. Do you know that was your great-great-grandmother? And I know she doesn't look like any of us, but you better not throw that away. I just pictured that happening. And I said to myself, I want to make sure that my life consists of more than just things. I want, when I come to the end, I want to finish really, really, really well. And when my kids or somebody else goes through my stuff, I want it to be just that, stuff. I want their memories to be of a man that was on mission with the things of God. That's what I want my life to be about. And so as we close, we ask ourselves the question, well, how do we do that? How do you do that? Because our TV screens scream at us. Our culture screams at us. Collect all of you, all the stuff that you can. Make your 401k count as big as you can. Make sure you try to time the market so that you can get the most out of it. Make sure you go to this place and see this place and experience this and do all that. How do we make sure that when it all comes to the end, we've numbered our days well and we've made them count. It seems to me there's only two possibilities. One is the philosophy that we can have that's the philosophy of the hedonist. In fact, Jesus talked about it in Luke chapter 12 when he was giving the parable of the rich young fool. He said this, you have this attitude that is eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That view is flawed if we really believe that we're eternal people. If we really believe that there is a resurrection, then we won't live that way. Because it's not just eat, drink, and be merry because then we just die. But we realize, no, we keep on living. We either live in heaven with Jesus or apart from him in hell. But we live someplace. The other view, which takes into account the fact that we are eternal and that there is a resurrection is the view of the Bible, and that is this, that we must be linked vitally to the eternal God if we want our fleeting lives to have significance. In summary, Moses' prayer is ours and should and it should be ours as well. And that is that God would enable us to form such an estimate of life that we would truly be wise in the way that we live because we act as if we see our entire life from beginning to end. You see, God, God, God does see that. You do realize that, right? God knew when you would be born. He knew all the events surrounding your birth. He knows all of the events that are surrounded in your life. And he knows the very moment in which you will die. And yet in his wisdom, he has allowed us not to know that, for which I'm very thankful, right? I mean, I wouldn't want to know that tomorrow at 2 o'clock I'm going to die, except for the fact that I might drive by Lost Trace one more time, and I might have Mexican food just in case if I get to the marriage supper of the Lamb and they're not serving Mexican. That would be like one of the things that I would want to make sure that I accomplished. I know you think that's silly. There's some other significant things too, but that one just comes to my mind. If any of us knew when and where and how we were going to die, would it not affect the very way that we lived our lives, just generally speaking? It would influence the way that we made our plans today and tomorrow. And the prayer is that Moses is praying here and trying to convince us of as well as he contemplates the futility of life is that God would allow us to live life as if we had such a view, as if we saw the end and we knew when it was going to happen and we were convinced that we were eternal and that only those things that mattered eternally are actually the things that matter. It would affect the whole way in which we live our lives. And so Moses doesn't say what he says to depress us. Actually, quite the contrary. He says, in view of all of this, the eternality of God and what he has saved you and created you and allowed you to become in Christ Jesus, he says in verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. You're a wise person if you understand that there's a beginning and there's an end and then there's eternity. And that's what matters. It's amazing to me, and maybe it is uh, to you as well. You guys can go ahead and come out. Uh, The lessons, the things that you think that you know, uh, these things that I talk about this morning, I've preached. Many of you have been here a number of years. I've preached these things before. But when you walk through the reality of life, isn't the reality of life just the best teacher? Like I can can get up and I can tell you, and if you're younger here and you've never had to do what I've done this last week uh, with my mother, if you've never had to do that, you can think, oh, well, that'll be somewhere out there, right? But the reality of experiencing it, the reality of understanding that we, we must number our days if we are to be wise people is the best teacher of all when you walk through it. And I want you to live your life, to number your days, that you might gain a heart of wisdom and to understand those things that are ultimately most important in life and they all have to do with people, right? Because people are the mission of the gospel. We're not for people, we would need no gospel. But because God created us and he loves us and wants us to be reconciled to him, that is the good news of the gospel message. I challenge you to invest in those things that are eternal. Don't buy into the, the American dream, which can so quickly become the American nightmare if we're not careful. Don't buy into the idea that it's just the accumulation of stuff because one day somebody else goes through your stuff and they decide about it. You invest in people. You invest in the mission of the gospel. And you will be wise if you number your days.